Hi, everybody. If you have a child who is in chronic pain or chronic symptoms, or you yourself are, then this is going to be a good episode for you. I am Jen Johnson. You are listening to Thought by Thought Healing. And on this channel, I talk about everything related to chronic pain and chronic symptoms and why you can recover from those things. I personally come at this from a Christian perspective. And so if that's important to you and you want to approach your healing in that way, then you should check out my website, which is Thought by Thought Healing. On this channel, I interview experts, and today's experts are going to talk about working with kids with chronic pain because it is slightly different than doing your own work of healing as an adult. So I'm going to read a little bit about my guests, and then we'll dive into what to do and how to interact with your child who has chronic pain and how to help them to reverse their pain and recover. Doctors Kinderman and Yannick are the co-creators of the Dual Therapist Model, a revolutionary new approach to psychotherapy aimed at enhancing the client experience and preventing clinical burnout. Dr. Michelle Kinderman is a licensed clinical psychologist who earned her Doctor of Philosophy degree from the California School of Professional Psychology in 2000. Dr. Kelly Yannick is a certified school psychologist who earned her Doctor of Psychology degree from the Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine in 2006. After experiencing burnout in their prior jobs, the two friends joined forces to challenge industry norms and develop an approach to living life that highlights human connection and prevents professional burnout. Both doctors are trained in pain reprocessing therapy woohoo, and utilize their dual therapist model to treat children and adults at their practice called Wellness Outside the Box, located in a beautiful 20-acre farm in Princeton, New Jersey. So without further ado, I give you these experts in the field of working with children. I hope you enjoy. All right. Good morning, everybody. Let's get started. Uh, I am super honored to have Dr. Michelle Kinderman and Dr. Kelly Yannick with me this morning. Did I say your last name correct, Kelly? Yes, you did. It's Yannick like panic. Yannick like panic. That's so good, <laughs> especially with the work we do. Yeah. Um, perfect. Well, um, good morning. Thank you for being here. Um, where are you calling in from? We are in Princeton, New Jersey. Princeton, New Jersey. Okay. And I'm in Seattle, Washington. So Kelly and I were talking about before we're on the opposite sides of the country. So three hours difference, I think. Is that right? Yep. 1230 mm-hmm. there. Okay. Or 1130 there, right? 1130. Cool. Well, um, I normally only have one person on the show. Um, so I'm sure you guys are totally versed in this because you run a dual therapist model. So I'm sure you're used to talking over one another, but bear with me as I and try to not talk over everybody and um, ask questions so that you know who answers. Um, so let's just start a little bit. How did you guys get into working with people in chronic pain? Go ahead, you start. Okay, so we and um we are both sufferers of chronic pain, and so mm-hmm. our story is mm-hmm. a little bit interesting. Um, like other. Uh, people you've had on your podcast, our story can be sounding a little bit similar that I was experiencing. I had my chronic pain happened after I was taking a nap in a beach chair on vacation. (laughs) And I wound up with extreme back pain from that. And a few people suggested John Sarno's book. And I said, oh, a book isn't going to solve my pain. Uh, So then I did the, you know, doctors and muscle relaxers and all the things and came back to, well, I guess I should try and read this book. And about halfway through the book, my pain went away. 
So oh, really? You did have the... I did have a Sarno experience where wow. I had a fever. Um, and through mm. that process, Michelle was one of the people that was telling me about reading the book and her experience with chronic pain. So well, let me just interject something yeah. to that story that it was the last day of your vacation. Yes. So, oh. so, and she took a nap in the chair at the beach on the last day of her vacation, which she loves the beach and she was going to be coming back to work and, um, Wait, and not this work. We, this yes. was a previous job, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I saw her after that, she was walking around like a hundred year old lady, you know, couldn't bend, wasn't really a lot of pain. And she told me how she injured herself. And I kind of said, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. How do you do yourself from taking a nap at the beach? Yeah. So, you know, then, right. so then, yeah. she, you know, Michelle was telling me about um, Dr. Sarno and his work. And so I became a believer and then was a complete believer and wanted, we wanted everybody to know about yeah. this. So we crossed paths with some other professionals in the field and really felt mm-hmm. like we would benefit from sharing that with other people. So you were both therapists at that time then? Yes. Yes. But in different, um, different positions at the time, we hadn't started our work together yet. At that yeah. point. You were, you were, you were just friends or acquaintances at that point. We were friends. So we met our, our kids are 16 now and oh. we met, they were in daycare. So when they were little, we met at the daycare. We realized we were both in the field. Uh-huh. And so we developed a friendship first, but we lived in opposite sides of New Jersey and Kelly was in the school system. I was in a hospital-based system and we both started feeling burnt out in our jobs. Um, we got tired of fighting rules that didn't really make sense. And we felt like we had our wings tied and mm-hmm. so brainstormed and we came together and created yeah. something new. And so when you think about that pain and the pain story and how it corresponded with really needing to make a change and mm-hmm. you know it, it all it all fits together looking back. Right. Absolutely. So, and Michelle, did you have, I I heard you say you had burnout. Did you also have chronic symptoms, physical symptoms with that? So I had chronic back pain for years. Um, I was in my twenties. I had gotten into a car accident. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, when I was 18, I had gotten into a car accident. So anytime looking back now, I can see that anytime I had stress and, and I did sort of injure my back, you know, it was just kind of a whiplash thing from jerking and it healed after a week, it felt totally fine. But anytime I would have stress or trauma or difficult situations, the pain would go right into my lower back. Um, and I went for acupuncture and the chiropractor and physical therapy and the orthopedist and the extra, all the whole gamut. Um, and then I finally went to a doctor in New York for injections and, um, he said, and I had told him that one doctor actually suggested spinal surgery for me. And he said, what were they going to operate on? What were they possibly going to do? And I said, I don't know. He said this, this, and this. And he's like, have you ever heard of John Sarno? <laughs> uh. So he actually suggested the book to me. Um, mm. And I read the book and that was it. Thank I- goodness. Right. Yeah. After many years of suffering, like I couldn't stand for a long time yeah. if I were you know, it, it was just debilitating. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so glad that you both found this work as I did too. Um, everybody in this industry has has recovered from chronic pain and it, it never gets old to hear a good story of 
I don't know, that recovery process. So recently I attended the Psychophysiologic Disorder Conference, which is mind-body medicine um, practitioners and doctors, and was able to listen to you two talk about the work that you do. And I think during that conference, you focused on your work in um, and with teens and kids. And that was awesome. I haven't heard anybody talk about working with kids before. So that was really inspiring. I took lots of notes. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to have you guys on here to talk about that perspective because we don't hear it a lot of talking with kids. So let's start first with just um, what does that look like to work with kids? Do you have programs? Are you doing one-on-one? Um, just for listeners who have kids in pain, we'll start there. And then we're going to talk about mm, difficulties, um, challenges to overcome with that, along with maybe some things that make it easier. And then we're going to talk about the parents. And I think it will be mostly parents that are listening. So just some tips um, for them if their kids are in chronic pain, um, what they can do. So that's a little layout of where I want to go. Let's start with what does it look like to work with those um, those kids that are suffering? So we're a little bit outside the box in that um, we've created the dual therapist model. So we yeah. see all of our clients together. So it would be two mm -hmm. on for mm -hmm. all of our sessions as opposed to one-on-one. -on -one. So we create more of a team feel in that manner. Um, we're also both certified in pain reprocessing therapy. Mm -hmm. So we sort of combine those two um, techniques in all of our work with our clients. Um, yeah. We do see a lot of kids and teens. Um, Kelly has the awesome background in school psychology, so that really helps us. Yeah. Uh, and I and thinking of the clients that we see and have seen, we've they come to us at different points in their pain journey. It might be that you know we had one that we had discussed one of the cases we discussed at the conference, um, a boy who was coming to us and he had had, you know hypermobility and was experiencing chronic pain as a result of that. Um, luckily, they had had the parents had had some indication that it could be a mind body um, issue. So okay. it, it does take a, a little bit of a door opening from a clinician or a physician to say, you know, this may be something you want to pursue um, getting help on. But we've also had other child and adolescent clients who are coming either because of emotional issues or behavioral issues. And we see the correlation between what's happening maybe in the home or what's happening with them at school and how they've got migraines or they've got a lot, you know, they're missing school because of stomach issues or things like that. And we can sort of then kind of help open the door, crack the door that it could be a connection with the mind body. So we either have them coming specifically because they're seeking us out for it, or we are able to then educate based on what our knowledge is of the, the situation. So you're helping um, the parents and the client to see the association between maybe them showing up for anxiety and also they think they also have migraines, but you're saying th these, these come together. They're from the same source. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's powerful. And about how it is to work with them, you know, just as I explained, what was talking about that, it's important to work with both the child and the parents because you can't really work with one without the other. Yeah, I definitely want to get into that. Um, which brings up the question of 
Mm. What, um, so comparing you're working with an adult uh, to you're working with a, a child that it may be in situations that are still stressful. That is true for adults also, but um, there's more autonomy with adults. So what, um, let's talk about what uh, pros and cons of um, a child learning about the mind-body connection at a young age opposed to at my age where there was a huge paradigm shift. Sorry, my phone is dinging on my computer and interrupting me. Um, so yeah, let's let's launch into that comparison, pros and cons of a child learning about this opposed to an adult. Yeah, we love working with the kids with chronic pain um, because they're not so, I, I almost feel like the neural pathways aren't as solidly formed and ingrained as they are with adults. They're very open to treatment for the most part. Um, they love to have fun and they're very easy to distract. So a lot of times what happens is because we work really hard to build rapport, build a sense of safety and trust, especially with the kids, to build a relationship with them and to make it fun. They have to want to come back. They have to feel comfortable here. Um, and so it's very easy to get them engaged in some kind of fun physical activity where they forget that their ankle is supposed to be hurting, where their brain, like it's very easy to calm their brain, to have them laugh, to have them move around. And then as soon as we can get that going, not to trick them, but to say, how did your ankle feel when we were bouncing on the hippity hops? Or how did your ankle feel when we did that obstacle course? You know, and wow, isn't that fascinating? You know, that you have so much pain when, you know, you're sitting in class, but when you're running the obstacle course and having fun, it goes away. And we make sure to validate the pain. We're not trying to trick them or say, oh, you're making it up. See, it, yeah. that goes along with um, the psychoeducation piece. Right. So, okay. So you're infiltrating the psychoeducation um, kind of layering in with fun. Yeah. Yes. So we start with like a basic um, explanation mm -hmm. of the brain pain connection, the fear pain cycle and all of that. And they're, you know, kids and adolescents are already primed for learning. So they're used to, their brains are used to having to take in information and kind of work with, and, you know, they go to school. It's, it's a normal, it's normal process for them to be thinking about and trying to learn something. Uh, by the same token, we're very cautious not to make it appear or give them too many worksheets or give them homework where it feels like a job or an extension yeah. of school. Um, but they're already primed to kind of take in and understand information. And there's almost a little bit of a, sometimes a more willingness from a kid to, to hear it from an adult, as opposed to sometimes the adults are already, they have their own schema of like, well, wait, you're saying it's all in my head. Mm -hmm. You know, kids are open to hearing and understanding that there might be another explanation for what's going on. Mm, yeah. Get them to buy into being their own, you know, body detective. What am I, what am I sensing in my body? What am I noticing? Like, huh? You know, where else have you noticed that you're not in pain one place, but in some place else you do experience the pain and, you know, kind of a curiosity. They're much more, they tend to be much more um, malleable in terms of that curiosity and the excitement about it, mm -hmm. as opposed to sometimes with adults, you get the defensiveness because they've been through so much more kind of resistance going to different doctors and trying to find an answer for their, their pain and suffering. 
And I think also the kids love to feel empowered. Like they, you know, like love that. So for example, <clears throat> the, the child in the case we presented in the PPD conference who had the leg pain, he had the leg pain when he would go on the boring, quote, boring hikes with his parents. Right, Everybody right. Had severe pain. Yeah. So after we got to know him for a while and we started working with him, he, you know, he would go on a hike and have severe pain and he'd come to our office and we'd play and run and laugh and we'd say, look how smart your brain is, right? So you're not even thinking about it, but you hate those freaking hikes with your parents. Yeah. Your brain is sending you severe pain because you really don't want to go. So we need to find a way for you to express that directly with your parents instead of having it come out because he was very much a people pleaser, didn't want to let his parents down. So we need to give your brain words so you can express those feelings with words so it doesn't have to come out through pain in your body. And he he liked that, that he could feel empowered, that he could change things, he could make a difference. Yeah. Going back to something you said a couple paragraphs ago, um, for the listeners, because I'm going to title this something like my child has pain or something like that. So there's going to be regular watchers that already know about the fear pain cycle. And then there's going to be people that have no idea what that is. Um, and and I love the idea of unpacking it in a simple way like you would for a child. Um, how do you, what kind of things are you trying to infiltrate layer into that psychoeducation, the pain neuroscience education? Um what are the types of things you're trying to get in there for them to understand and now for the parents to hear? It depends on the age of the child, but okay. we usually start with, you know, if you touch a stove, your brain sends you the signal, ow, hot, and then it tells you to move your hand because that's your brain trying to protect you. So anytime your brain thinks that you might be in some kind of danger, it sends you pain in order to keep you safe. So that's a great function of your brain. It's a great function. It's the reason we have pain is so that we we know to do things differently. Um, so we usually start with that story. And then using analogies with things that kids are familiar with is really important as well. Um, you know, the idea of like a fire alarm kind of going off and whether it needs to be or not, sometimes smoke alarm goes off when you're cooking dinner and sometimes it goes off when there's a fire and it's it's smoke, but it's a matter of what the message is and what that needs to be and kind of making that connection that the brain is what's activating the pain and having them come up with examples that they can think of and having them give them back to us is really key. And it gets mm -hmm. them, again, curious about other things in the world that, you know, if you hear, you know, if you hear a fire truck in a parade, you don't tend to have too much nice. of a you know, you're not worrying about it. But if you hear a fire truck coming down your street, there might be a different reaction. It's the same sound. It's the same truck. It's the same, you know, the same stimulus. I don't, we don't use stimulus with the kids, but it's the same thing. But based on what your brain is telling you and the other information that it has, it's making an, it's making an idea about how to handle it. And so really making those connections for kids in ways that they can, they can understand it. Yeah. And also the, sorry, the, the environment too. So we, we had a child who every morning was, had severe vomiting before he would go to school. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. So we explained to him that be, because he had experienced a traumatic incident at school, 
his brain had learned that school is dangerous and it had generalized it not just to the one hallway where the incident occurred, but to all the classrooms, to the bus ride, to the route to the school, to even the thought of going to school. So his brain was really working hard to keep him safe, to keep him away from a scary, dangerous environment. Yeah. So we're able to understand that. That that uh, overlaps with the question I was going to ask, which is it um, the touching of the stove. I think that intuitively makes sense because it's a physical danger. I, my hand is going to get hurt if I do that. Do you find that 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 translation of from physical danger to emotional danger is an easy one for kids to grasp? I, I don't know about this the student with the the trauma in the hallway if that was physical or just emotional bullying. I use the word just. I did not mean just emotional bullying. Um, but making that that translation of the brain detects emotional danger in the same way as physical danger. Do you find that kids get that or is that more challenging? Some kids do. Some to, some kids do get it. And then some kids, we that's where a lot of the activity and experiential based act, things can come into play. So we'll, you know, we'll ask a child, like, how do you feel when you're upset or you're worried and you're in pain? And they might say like, you know, my heart beats fast. I feel tense and my hands get, you know, uh -huh. I, I feel fidgety. And then we'll go, you know, we'll say, all right, let's go outside and play. And we'll run around and we'll do jumping jacks and Simon says, and this and the other thing. And then we'll stop and I'll say, all right, put your hand on your heart. What is it doing? It's beating really fast. Like you're, you know, you might feel tingling in your muscles because we just used them. You're sweating. Like some And yeah, and you're sweating mm. the same symptoms, but you're not, you're not experiencing worry or fear or any of those things that you would have experienced just by getting a different sensation in a different situation. So with kids creating, and even adults creating a situation where they can experience the same, like kind of somatic or, you know, physical sensations, and then really frame it for them that there is no actual danger and you're getting the same symptoms. So you can have that positive experience mm. and, and do that in an experiential way. So we're helping them shift how they're relating to their their symptoms by that experience. Yeah, they do seem how they clear. interpret those sensations. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So that so those were a lot of kind of benefits of learning about this as as a child. Um, what about what do you see as as obstacles when they come young as they are? What do you what do you have to overcome with that? I think the biggest obstacles are the parents <laughs> sometimes. Yes. The caregivers and unfortunately a lot of times the medical community. Yeah. So for example, that child who came in with the vomiting, right away the parents they took him to they brought him to us and they brought him to the medical doctors and they brought him to a psychiatrist and a neurologist. And the poor kid got put on so many medications and had so many diagnoses within a month of time. And for us, it was so clear the link. So we were glad that he was getting checked out medically, of course, you know, we wanted that information, but so many of the diagnoses he was getting were based on neuroplastic issues. So, you know, like the migraines, which, I, I think probably has a physical component who, you know, that one's a little tricky. Um, 
but just a whole list of diagnoses and a whole bunch of medications. And this boy was 11, I think. Mm -hmm. So by the time we finished working with him, he had no more migraines. He no longer vomits on his way to school. He's going to school, taking the bus to school, and he's been weaned off all his medications except wow. for one. They're they're afraid to take him off one of the anxiety medications, which we think he can go off that as well. But um, and was, and yeah. the biggest obstacle to that was the lack of communication. I think if more providers would be willing and open and find time, which we understand, there's barriers to that. That everyone's, you know overstaffed and under, you know, there's not a lot of time, but if we all could have coordinated and yeah. shared our thoughts and, and worked collaboratively, that would have been, I think, really helpful. And so sometimes resistance from the outside providers, but it's tough yeah. with parents because they're trying to do everything they can yeah. to stop their child from being in pain. And they want to make sure they're uncovering every possible, op you know, they don't want to miss anything. They don't want to, mm -hmm. they don't want the child to be in harm's way. So we kind of come in at that point where maybe they've already exhausted a lot of other avenues and now they're at your door and they're like, okay, I don't know what else to do, but there's still not a hundred percent buy-in. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that psychoeducation and understanding has to kind of come first for the parents as well. Yeah. And I imagine for the, the kid, you, you need your parents support. They're who you're learning from consistently so if the parent is second guessing right yeah. you're gonna second guess also yeah yeah and that's especially harder with the younger kids with the teens that we're able to align with them and become a team with them in a way that they okay. trust us and we support them and you know we explain that it's hard for some people to sort of grasp this and might be a little more challenging for your parents and you know we we really work on aligning with mm -hmm. them and supporting with supporting them but it's very difficult when every time a new symptom comes up yeah they're running them to the doctor and getting a new medication and a new diagnosis and it, it can be challenging yeah what I, I i love that you brought that up the the moving symptoms the new symptoms um what kind of symptoms for people listening are are commonly mind body that a parent can be aware that may show up in this this cycle of of mind body symptoms um we've had a bunch of kids diagnosed with pots okay uh, mm -hmm. that's been a big one um and we've had actually a lot of success in treating that um through a mind body approach um, but it's very hard because the medical community gets very involved with that um, okay so there's that there's a lot of the same things that the adults get so irritable bowel syndrome um, plantar fasciitis migraines um. and i think for parents helping them understand the the healing process and what what's really involved in that and encouraging them to get more information from the medical doctor that if you know if your child you know had a broken ankle during a soccer game that after the allotted amount of time that that's healed, then there should no longer be any issues with that. If it's completely healed, there should not be any pain as a result of that because it's perfectly healthy and it's, you know, all those things are safe. So having the parents understand that maybe if they need to from their medical doctor, like get that information, like how, you know, 
We can provide you the research, but encouraging them to confirm that there's really no ongoing issues that you should be concerned about so that when the child's experiencing that, it's not, you know, oh no, did they re-hurt it? Do we need to run you back and, and have something more taken a look at? Yeah, right. as adults, we've been led to believe that once you injure yourself, like if you break a wrist, do you twist an ankle? It'll never be the same. Right. It'll always be a weak spot. And that's just not how the body works. Our bodies heal. Yeah. Um, and so it's important to communicate that to the kids. Yes, you did sprain your ankle and it was swollen, but it healed. It's good as new. The doctor x-rayed it. They've examined it. You can move it. You can do this, that, and the other. It's healed. You know, it's, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid of pain in that area anymore. Yeah. You mentioned earlier something about the, the healing process. Uh, um, did you mean uh, what you just talked about of the healing of, of something that has been broken or damaged or injured? Um, is that what you're talking about? Or are you talking about the healing process of mind-body symptoms and the approach you use? So when I was talking about the healing process a minute ago, I was referring to the physical healing process okay. um, in terms of just, you know, with the parent piece, really having them understand that. Cause I don't know that that's always, I, I think as adults, we're often led to believe that, you know, I, you know, bent my finger back in eighth grade and it's still sore. <laughs> like, I fell asleep in a chair the wrong like, way. Every, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. That's just a, a, you know, a mantra that people just haven't, we haven't gotten that, that word out enough but i do think there is a huge component of the healing through the mind body part and understanding the neural pathways and how how your brain connects and gets that that pathway um with the emotional piece of it that we need to also work on yeah how do you so um I have so many questions first first let's go with what what is the general approach, recognizing that each person and each child is very, very different. And so the way that they heal is going to require different tools and approaches. But do you have a certain, I don't know, bullet points that you're trying to get out, like, I don't know, movement and, and psychoeducation and emotional work, that, that type of thing? Do you have a way that you're approaching this? Yeah. And it's, more of an ebb and flow. So we, we don't have a structured kind of thing. Um, but first and foremost is building the relationship with the child or the teen. Um, you have to have that first. So okay. we work on just getting to know them, um, what they like, what their interests are, what activities they enjoy. Um, and that way we can incorporate that into the treatment later on down the line. So if we okay. have a creative kid, We've got tons of art supplies and bracelet making stuff. If we have an active kid who likes soccer, we have a soccer ball and we'll go out and kick the ball. So we try to get to know them um, and just be genuine ourselves and bring humor into it and make it fun. So those are the first, those are the key things we start with and bring into every session. Yeah. Uh, and then there's certain pain reprocessing techniques we use. So we, we gather evidence. So we'll actually take out um, our, our cheat sheet and say, you know, we'll sit down next to the kid and say, look, these are the things that after we do the psycho ed piece of explaining neuroplastic pain and how it works in terms that they can understand, these are the things that they say, um, 
are evidence of neuroplastic pain. And we'll sort of go down the list. Do you have pain on both sides? No? Okay, so we won't check that off. Do you notice the pain when you're running, but not when you're jumping? You know, and we'll sort of go and we'll help them build an evidence list that they can keep um, and we can whip okay. out and just, you know, for when there are those doubts or if the parents are questioning and we'll have them go over the list with the parents too. Nice. Yeah. And then the psychoeducation piece is always there whenever we can get psychoeducation in there. And whenever we see evidence in the session, you know, how, what, what's your pain level right now? What are the sensations? What does it feel like? All right, let's go have some fun. We'll go out in the middle of the fun. What, what are you feeling now? Nothing. Can we finish playing the game? You know? <laughs> um, and then at the end, what's your sense now? Wow. That is amazing. Look at what your brain did, you know? Mm. And then we'll have them educate the parents. We'll educate the parents. We'll have them educate the parents. We also yeah. like to bring in um, ways for them to understand the information, the psychoeducation in, in different formats. So um, there's a show through Disney, it's called Limitless with Chris Hemsworth. He's Thor, if you're not familiar with him, but okay. he does a whole series on reducing stress. And there's a they do a very good job of explaining how your brain gives messages to your body and gives out like cortisol and adrenaline and how that whole process works hmm. and so rather than us trying to find the words and and do it in in here giving them a, a way to watch something that's that's intriguing and fun and a character that they're familiar with and visually appealing um materials about the brain yeah. connection will say you know when you go home why don't you guys as a family watch this and like you can talk about it and so finding things that the kids can connect with that they can then incorporate at home so yeah. that it's just again I'm coming to that office I'm learning a thing and then I'm leaving and I'm forgetting about it until next time that's and awesome I yeah. I have not seen that movie but apparently I need to yeah it's, it's a lot of series he does different activities the the first couple are really um really do a nice job of, of explaining some things. Oh, it's a series. It's not a movie. No, it's a series. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that out. Um, and then what about bottom up approaches? I I'm definitely just plugging. Cause I want to hear you guys talk about this pizza analogy that you use with <laughs> breathing. I know when I was healing and having to like slow down and do meditation or breathing stuff, um, that required a lot of self-control because I was in urgency mode and go, go, go. And so to get myself to realize it was okay to be slow and, and do those sorts of things was challenging as an adult. So um, I'd love to hear your take on how you work with kids on that. Well, we can also add in that we have a little bit of an advantage because Kelly's also a certified yoga instructor. So, yes. uh, so sometimes yep. um, even with the breathing, we'll have them do some certain stretches and we'll ask them to describe the sensation in one area. And then we'll ask them to describe the sensations in the area where they've had pain. And a lot of times they'll use the same words. Well, it's a stretching, it's a tightness, it's a tingling. We'll say, so isn't that so interesting that it's the same sensation but in this area, your brain has defined it as positive and, oh, it feels like a good stretch. But in this area, your brain has defined it as pain. And so those sorts of things really help them. And then the breathing. Yeah. And then um, just a caveat to working with kids and, and even adults, you, you know, you 
you need to build in breaks and fun in between. Mm. So just trying to give an entire session on psychoeducation, you'll lose kids. Like you can't, you know, you have to break it up with yeah. lots of, but finding again with the breathing, finding ways to connect, you know, it's become kind of a buzzword to be mindful, take a deep breath, you know, mm -hmm. explaining why that's important. Like why you need to train your brain how to take deep breaths. You don't want to just do that when you're upset. And we tell that to the parents too. Don't wait till your child's mm -hmm. in excruciating pain or really anxious and worked up to say, okay, practice your breathing. Like your mm -hmm. brain's already on high alert. So it's really yeah. training your, you know, training yourself to be prepared for when something comes up. And so the pizza and the hot chocolate breath is, was really designed so that you can work on slowly inhaling and slowly exhaling because when you tell a, any kid to take a deep breath they're like <laughs> you know they almost hyperventilating because they're just there's an urgency like if the faster i breathe maybe the faster this won't hurt anymore so really getting them to visualize and slow down and take the deep breaths i mean we're not a, we're not against actually practicing it with real hot chocolate mm -hmm. so they get a real visceral response to you know, when I breathe in, I don't want to inhale a nose full of um, whipped cream. So I need to take a nice slow inhale and then slowly breathe out. And so having them really experience it as much as possible makes the best connections. Yeah. And the, the pizza one is about breathing in slow. So you're not inhaling the cheese. Is that what I, I remember? Yes. Yes. You want to really take a nice yummy smell in, but you don't want to blow that cheese right off because that's the best part of pizza. I love it. And once you do a couple of them, then you can say, okay, like, well, what are other things that you could think of? You know, like, you know, blowing out candles on a birthday cake. You don't want to inhale the, the flame. You don't want to spit all over everybody at the party. <laughs> so like right. you come up and then they get sillier and sillier and, you know, everybody can have a good laugh and you're bringing in humor and it makes it a real positive experience as opposed to what they're used to, which is going to a doctor and maybe hearing big words they don't understand and feeling powerless in how to help be a part of the healing process. So, you know, really mm -hmm. making positive connections mm -hmm. goes a long way. And then we have the parents come in and the child teaches the parents how to do the, the breath work. Um, that way the parents can do it with them. They can encourage them to do it. And, you know, so is there a, a part of the session where it's just the three of you and then a part that the the parents are involved with too we usually start out with um us the child and the parent or parents okay um, just, you know how was the week anything new we need to know about did, did you do any practicing that sort of thing then we'll give the parents the boot which the kid loves <laughs> and then we'll have some fun and we'll work with the child and then usually the session we'll bring the parent back in for a few minutes so the child can teach them any new techniques or we can talk about goals or things like that gotcha okay. also encourage the parents to communicate anything um maybe anything they're questioning from the medical standpoint through like an email or try to make yeah. a phone call ahead of time so they're not talking again in scary medical terms in front of their child so we want that information we of course want to be kept in the loop but we Again, don't want to feel like if for a child session that the adults are all talking around them again. We want them to really feel um, a part of their own, you know, process without again feeling inferior because all the adults are talking about big scary words and 
I'm hearing things I don't know what they mean. And so we encourage the parents to do that in a different way so that we have the information and we're not spending the time, you know, talking about that in front of the kids. I love that, you guys. It just makes the feel the kid feel empowered, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I want to ask a hmm, awkward question. So um I I work with adults and I know you work with adults also. Um and and we're always healing a wound. You know, there's there's something that we're healing. There's a reason our brain is on high alert. Um and sometimes that is the parent that you're 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 going back and you're healing from high alert that you had because of a parent's response to you xyz um now knowing full well that there are many other reasons and i want that caveat just because i don't want a parent watching to be like oh my gosh it has to be my fault i mean there are so many reasons it is is not always the parent but um for parents listening that want to look out and see, like, I want to be humble and say, is, is there some way that I'm relating to my child's emotions that might be part of the high alert? Um, how can we, I want to, I just want to be so gracious. How can we love on the parents listening and give some things for them to think about or question about their way they're relating to their child? So the, the best thing the parents can do for their children is to take care of their own emotional health and well-being. So for a lot of parents, that might mean going to a weekly yoga class. For other parents, it might mean, you know what, let me let me get into my own therapy and explore. Are, are there any ways where I might unknowingly being, be contributing to, to this issue? Like, let me explore my own stuff. There's nothing better that you can do for your child than taking care of your own emotional health. Um, so oftentimes parents might be contributing but for the best of reasons. So the, the parents with the child who had trouble walking on the hikes, they would go into a panic because their kid would be crying in extreme pain. And they were, it's scary seeing your child like that. So their response was sort of a panic response which then escalates the child's fear response which then escalates the pain response. Yeah. So, you know, the parent with the best of intentions might be reacting with a high anxiety response, which then escalates the situation as opposed to resolving the situation. So um, mm-hmm. there are times when if we see some evidence of that, we'll work with the parent on their own um, in ways that they can better help their child. And you know, to provide yeah. the cycle ed that when you react to an anxiety response with a higher level of anxiety, it escalates. Yeah. Um, as best they can, we know it's scary and it's horrible to see your child in pain, but if they can understand the psychoed piece of the neuroplastic pain, then they can learn to have a more effective response and better help their child. Love it. Sharing with, um, sharing with the parents, some of the, you know, things that we know personality wise that can contribute to neuroplastic pain can be helpful as well, because, when you go through that and you start to look for evidence, oh, well, am I a perfectionist? Am I, is there a lot of intensity? Is there a lot of stress in my job? What are, what are my kids getting to see um, in my behavior that might be contributing to things? Do I overreact to small things? Am I, you know, 
just giving them an opportunity to kind of explore that and encourage them to explore that, not in a, this is your fault or blame kind of way, but more in a, we're all human and we're all learning and we're all, you know, exploring that. So helping guide them to, to kind of see what's happening on their end is really helpful. And we also explore with the parents and the kids also, but we explore with the parents very delicately, the topic of secondary gains. Okay. So one child whose physical ailments kept the mom and the daughter very close because they spent all their time together going to various doctor's appointments. And the mom really got to feel good about being her daughter's hero. So she had the best of intentions but there was a little bit of secondary gain there that was getting in the way. So we could teach her healthier ways to build the relationship with her daughter. And for the child, there's often the secondary gain of attention. Yeah. Um, so we can work with the parent on how to better give positive attention. Yeah. Do, do you ever bring that up with the, the, the child or is it just the parent that you want to understand that concept? We bring it up with the child too, depending. Um, yeah. very gently, you know, wow, that must be really nice that your mom, your mom takes such good care of you. Your dad takes such good care of you. That must be really nice to have that extra time with your mom or dad. What would be, what kind of fun things do you like to do with your parents and sort of maneuver them, creating a, a connection with their parent in a way that's a little bit more healthy. Yes. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Um, I think we are, uh, I was more accustomed to hearing about adults with chronic pain um, and symptoms. And um, as we learn more and more about this, we're finding that kids are also um, just as susceptible to mind-body symptoms as we are as adults. Um what do you, I can't remember what you said, but in the uh, psychophysiologic disorder conference, you were talking about percentages of, of kids. Do you remember what those numbers were? Um, um, I think the reason I'm bringing that up is because I imagine I'm not, so I'm not a parent. <laughs> That's why I'm not talking, talking about this. I'm asking you guys all the questions. Um, I imagine as a parent, your, your child has a symptom, even if you know about mind-body syndrome. Um, there's got to be like a protective love that comes up in the form of fear sometimes. And so I think just knowledge is so helpful. I would imagine as a parent to know it's really common for kids to have mind body syndrome. Um, so what do you, what do you have to say about that? Do you remember the numbers? Yeah, so I actually wrote them down. So the median prevalence of chronic pain reported in community samples of children and adolescents is 11 to 38%. Um, but we would guess that it's probably even higher than that. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people in the field, you know, probably a lot of people that presented at the conference, they can remember symptoms as early back as childhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Either they don't get talked about or they don't get addressed or it was dealt with medically or, you know. Yeah. Finding with parents, like what you mentioned, that there is this, you know, there's a parental need to protect and worry, but there's also a societal, there's been an increase in societal um, attention on child safety, you know, mm. totally, you know, I played on a playground on blacktop and the monkey bars weren't on, you know, turf, but 
in reality, mm. now that there's more research on concussions and heart issues, you know, whenever my children sign up for a sporting event, it's like three pages mm -hmm. of waivers that have horribly scary things in there. Like, are you waving away that they could have some, you know, hidden drop dead? Yeah, there's some <laughs> hidden heart problem that we don't know about. Or if they, yeah. you know, it's, it's very scary information that's going out to parents. And it's important. And I'm not suggesting that it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the case. But I think also mm -hmm. equally educating parents on how to reduce their own anxieties and also to look at things, you know, look at things logically and gather, you know, making more awareness of mind body in general. I think it's, it's, you know, it's luckily coming more to the forefront in, you know, common language and society, but really making that delineation between, you know, the reality of this and that it's not just in your head and that we're, you know, there's, there's a lot that can be done there. Yeah, and and also just want to throw out there that we absolutely believe in taking your kid to the medical doctor. So I'm a mom, and even with all this education on neuroplastic pain, I'm the first one to run my kid to the doctor with a symptom. So I I do that just for my own fear as a mama, you know, mama bear. Um, uh -huh. And then based on the doctor's feedback, then we go home, and I can sort of take that information and say. All right. So more likely this mm. is a plastic issue or more likely he injured it when playing on the playground. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I, did you mention your, your child is in high school? Is that right? Yeah. So I work at a high school, um, part-time and then I do this part-time. Um, and I am constantly hearing high school kids you know, huge stomach out. Oh, I have a terrible headache. And it's often when there's an exam or there's a test and, um, yeah. So, so just, just knowing, like we just talked about the, the parent and them, them modeling, but there's also the, just the pressure of being a teenager. I mean, I, being in the district again, um, and seeing the pressure that the kids go through, um, if if I was in that, I think I'd have a headache every once in a while. My stomach would hurt. I don't know. Just seeing the kids in and what we don't recognize as as maybe more pressure than. Yeah, and I think having that awareness and encouraging kids to start early at taking better care of themselves and helping model that for them. Um, just yeah. talking to a friend of mine who's got a very high achieving son in high school and, you know, on multiple run, you know, was involved in multiple activities and um, was exhausted and really just had had too many days of being at school late for different things. And she mm. said, you know, why don't you just take tomorrow off? And it was like a foreign concept to this young yeah. man. He was like, what are you saying? <laughs> yeah. And she was like, take the day. Like you need a day to rest recharge and then you'll be much better off the next wow. few days after that to be able to think more clearly and it she was fascinated because here she was a believer in that and yet he still was feeling that intense pressure from the outside world that mm -hmm. sometimes the parent needs to step in and walk the fine line of like teaching self-care mm -hmm. and not avoidance behavior you know because you don't want to you don't want to say mm -hmm. oh you have a stay home, but start to notice patterns of stress and model it pre preemptively as opposed to reactively. 
Oh, I love that. I love seeing the contrast between avoidance and self-care and how the it may look like the same thing, but your intention is very, very different. Mm. That's good. And you zoom in on the emotion and make that connection between the affect and the physical symptom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in starting to wrap up here, um, what suggestions or what words of advice, what do you want to share with, we're going to go two categories. One, if there is a teenager listening, what advice would you give them? Uh, and then we'll shift to what advice would you give to parents? So let's start with, with teenagers. So teenagers, I would say really keep doing the hard work, not just in school, but on yourself, really start to take time to see how you're feeling. Um, less screen time and more outdoor time just to be with your thoughts and continue to remain in touch with who you are. And as you're figuring that out, um, but if you need help, ask for it, you know, you don't need to, to suffer in silence and, um, there are people out there that can help you in a, in a fun way. It's not, you know, a punitive way. So. Mm. And put, put words to mm. what you're feeling, give space to your feelings. So whatever it is you're feeling, you don't have to justify it. You can just feel it and put words into it. Because if you say, well, that's stupid. I shouldn't be feeling anxious about that. Or that's, if an adult tells you, what are you sad for? You have nothing to be sad about. You're entitled to be sad. And if you don't, put words to it and make space for it, it's going to go right into your body. Yeah. Mm, so good. Just feel your feelings. Yes. Okay. And then advice for parents. Now this goes back to their self-care. Get your butts in therapy. <laughs> Even if, you know, you're happy, go lucky. It can never hurt. It, it's really, it's, it's a journey you know, getting to a place of emotional health. Um, I don't know anybody that says, I've made it, I'm here. You know, it's a, it's a constant journey. So take care of yourself. If you're not ready to tackle therapy, do some yoga, bring fun back into your life, connect with the things that bring you joy. What did you used to enjoy before you had kids? Remember back in the day, you used to do stuff for yourself and have fun and laugh and um, reconnect with those things and bring them back into your life. And don't be afraid to share some of your own experiences with your kids. Mm -hmm. So if I'm having, you know, if I'm experiencing some sort of pain response, you know, if my back starts to hurt or my neck starts to hurt, I, I'll, I'll, I'll verbalize it. I'll be like, it's really interesting that today was a particularly stressful situation with XYZ and I didn't do anything physically, but I'm experiencing some tension and pain in my neck. And I, I know that that's going on for me and I'll, my kids are a little bit older, so I'll explain that to them and I'll, yeah. I'll talk about how I, how I know that maybe now I need to take a break. Um, kind of trained my kids to say like, all right, why don't you sit down for a minute? Like you've been running around too much. Like now they're telling me to sit down and, and take a minute. So it's, that's awesome. Yeah, it's great. Um, but bringing that culture and that that mindset into the family, um, so that you're all working together, and it's a way that you all want to be, and it's not just parent telling child like you need to go to bed, you need more rest. It's probably you all need to go to bed, and you all need more rest. Yeah, love it. 
Oh, thanks. Thank you to both of you. Um, okay. In final closing, we just have to talk about the, your shirts, <laughs> your, your matching merchandise, um, and your website, how people can get a hold of you, that kind of stuff. So tell us what you have. <laughs> so you can reach us at dualtherapistmodel.com. Okay. And what was the other part of that? Oh, part? the shirts are just, oh. we, we found a way to reduce stress in our day and we decided to get Shop. merch and <laughs> wear comfortable clothes. Cause honestly, we're outside a lot with our, our clients and we're, you know, yeah. moving around. So we're pretty comfortable. And so we decided to, it's our logo, not worry about wellness it. outside the box. Love it. Worry about what we were wearing every day. So yeah. That's that's so good that I call it doing the work up front to reduce stress. So it's, you don't have to worry about what you're wearing every day. For anybody who wants to understand this model, because mm -hmm. it is different. A lot of times when people hear it, they're like, wait, what? They work together. Yeah. Um, we yeah. did just do a TEDx talk on YouTube. Um, it's now on YouTube and it really goes through what our dual therapist model is involved. So that's up on YouTube. Um, and there's a lot more information on our website yeah. as well. Okay. I will make sure and put that all in the show notes. So uh, to clarify, you do not sell your merchandise. The sweatshirts are just for that. yours. Oh, okay. Here I was thought I was trying to sell your merch for you, but <laughs> hey, <laughs> later, another time. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate both of your expertise. I know that there are going to be many parents um, who will be encouraged by this and therefore that will trickle down to their kids. So thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. We you. appreciate you putting this message out there for everybody. Mm -hmm. So thank you. Yeah. All right. And thank you to the watchers. I will see you guys next week.